0: Welcome to Parker Memorials Podcast of the 8:30 AM service. Our service includes modern style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our year-long study into revival by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message.
1: If you have your Bibles. You can go ahead and turn. Begin in Genesis chapter three. We'll be looking at a number of passages of Scripture today, so you'll need to leave your Bibles open be focusing on that. We are in our theme that we're focusing on is kingdom living in a fallen world. And we've been working hard to establish the fact that there's the kingdom of heaven and then there is the kingdom of the world. The kingdom of heaven is where things are absolutely perfect and wonderful for God is on his throne and never relinquishes his throne. The kingdom of the world was made perfect by God But God also placed it under dominion of man, and because man was disobedient, man sinned, and this world fell. And then dominion became the old enemy, and he's been the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air ever since. And this world is a mess. But God has not given up. God still has a plan, amen? And that plan is for the kingdom of heaven to eventually overshadow and conquer and invade the kingdom of the world. We've been seeing that. Last week we saw where anything God does, he always reveals it to a prophet. So Daniel revealed to us on two different visions and dreams that he had, or Nebuchadnezzar had and he had, that God was ultimately going to know what the kingdoms of the world would be like and that the kingdom of heaven would defeat all of those and would rule forever. Well, I want you to know this, that our God is a glorious God. He has attributes that only he has. And because of that, Before there was ever the fall of man, before there was ever sin that invaded and entered into this world, I want you to know something. God had a plan to redeem it before it was ever lost. Do you hear me? God had a plan to redeem it before it was ever lost. God had a plan of redemption before Adam and Eve ever sinned. That's why it says that Jesus in the Revelation said, Jesus is a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. In other words, God in his plan already knew that his son would need to be a savior before he ever created us and before we ever fell. That's because he's an all-knowing God. And I want you to understand something, and I want to share that with you right now, that From the very time that it fell, God has been working and has been revealing his plan of how he would redeem the world. But also, since the very time that it fell and Satan took dominion, Satan has been working in every way he can and in every means he might have to be able to retain the dominion of the world. He does not want to give up this dominion. And therefore, anything that he can do, anything that he can plan, any way he can seek to destroy and kill and hinder the will of God and the work of God, he's doing that. And so you find out there's this battle, there's this war that rages. That's what the Bible is all about. Oh, there are characters in the Bible, but the the real story of the Bible is there's this war that goes on between God and between Satan. Now, I want you to understand something about that. That's not a fair fight, all right? That's not a fair fight because these are not two equal gods. If you have in your mind that God is the good God and Satan is the bad God and that the attributes that God has is what Satan has, then you have the wrong view of God and you have certainly the wrong view of Satan. There's a distinct difference between our God and the enemy. Our God has the attributes called the omni-attributes. He is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere at one time. Satan is not omnipresent. He is only one place at one time. You understand that? Now It says he's the prince of the power of the air and the son of, of light, so he has the opportunity to travel back and forth, but he can only be at one place at one time. God's at all places at all times. You got that? God is omnipotent. That means he is all-powerful. There is no limit to his power. Satan is not omnipotent. He is limited by what God will allow him to do. And then one of the things that I want to focus on today, and I really want you to think about, is that God is omniscient. That means he knows absolutely everything. From beginning to end, he has the eternal knowledge. He is God. And Satan is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. Matter of fact, what he knows is a progression of what he learns. A progression of what he learns. And he's constantly trying to learn it. He's constantly trying to observe it. He constantly listens to what God says so that he might know how he might better battle God to keep God's will from being accomplished. You got that picture? But he doesn't know everything. If you you think Satan knows everything, you have elevated him way beyond what he, he deserves because he doesn't know that. One reason you know that he doesn't know everything is whenever there was the competition about Job. You remember that about Job? And when Satan says, boy, if you'll touch him, then he'll curse you. And if if you'll take everything away from him, he'll curse you. And God says, go ahead and do it. Why would God do that? Because God, knowing everything, knew that Job would be faithful. Satan, who doesn't know everything, had no idea that Job would remain faithful. That's why it's not a fair fight. When you already know the end before it ever starts, it's not a fair fight. It's not a fair fight between God and the enemy. Thank God for that. Amen? (laughs) But today I want you to see in God's Word, I want you to see this This battle that happens. And I I want you to see how the all-knowing God in his plan, he lays forth the plan of how this redemption and how this kingdom of heaven will take over the kingdom of the world. And how it will be reclaimed and won back. He does that all throughout the word of God. And there sitting in the audience is always Satan listening, trying to catch any information he might have so that he might know where and how he can battle the kingdom of the God that he would not worship, and to keep that kingdom from invading this world which he has now got control over. The first thing I want you to see is that uh, you don't go very far in the Scripture to find out that God begins to reveal his plan of redemption right after the fall of man. That's why we look at Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, you find the story of the old serpent tempting tempting Eve, and she eats, and Adam eats, and sin enters into the world, and the world is radically changed. But only eight verses, eight verses later, God reveals and begins to reveal his plan of redemption. Look at it here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It's whenever God begins to talk to them about the results of sin. And he looks at the old serpent, that's old Satan, you remember him? That's old Satan. And he looks at Satan and he tells him, he warns him about what is his future. Listen to what he says in verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's saying to Satan. There's going to be enmity between you and the woman or the seed of the woman. He goes, says this. And between your seed and her seed. Listen now. And he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. There is going to be enmity between you and the seed of woman, mankind. There's going to be something that's going to happen in relationship to you, whereby you are going to bruise his heel. But he is going to bruise your head. Think about that. There in Genesis chapter 3 tells us something about what's a redemption going to happen. You know what's going to happen in redemption? Oh, Satan's going to come along and there's going to be eventually a a redeemer who's sent, who's the son of God, and he's going to realize that this is the son of God, and he's going to try to tempt him and make him falter and fail, make him disqualify himself, but he's not going to be able to do that. And eventually, the only thing that he can think about doing is he needs to get rid of him. And therefore, he is going to kill him. And the way he kills him is he hangs him on a cross. And he nails, nails in his hands and in his feet. And he kills him on the cross. Thinking that he has won. But three days later, that redeemer comes forth and he has not won. But rather, all he has done is to bruise him on the heel. But the very fact of what Satan did, and the fact that Satan now deserves the punishment he's going to get, and that God is victorious over him, that the seed of man, through the Redeemer, Jesus, is going to bruise his head. Bruising a heel is painful. Bruising a head is fatal. What happened to Jesus on the cross was painful, suffering, agony beyond what we could ever imagine. But what happened on the cross and what took place on the cross was the annihilation and the judgment of the serpent of Satan. So hold on a second. Right there, Satan learned something. In progressive understanding, he said this. The way that God is going to take over his world is going to be through the seed of woman. It's going to be through man. That redemption is going to happen through man, the one that I've caused to falter and fail. So now he sets his sight that what he needs to do is to destroy men. If he can destroy men, he will destroy the Redeemer. He'll destroy the opportunity to defeat him. So his sight is set on seeking to destroy mankind. What happens? We talked about it a few Sundays ago. You remember what happened in regard to the world? The world in sin became so ungodly and so wicked that by the time you get to Genesis chapter 6, what happened? It is so ungodly and so wicked that God says he regrets that he ever made man and he is going to destroy man by the flood. See, Satan wanted to Make man so stinky in the sight of God that God would want to destroy man. Well, what he failed to understand was there was a righteous man, a man named Noah, that God would preserve through the flood and all of the animals that he chose to preserve through the flood and that he wasn't going to give up on man even though Satan set his side in making it so wicked and ungodly that God would want to destroy man. Well, it goes on. Turn to Genesis chapter 22. The first revelation is that man is going to be the means whereby he is going to be defeated. But in Genesis chapter 22, we have the opportunity of being introduced to a man named Abraham. Remember, we we told you about Abraham. Abraham was that one God chose to be the the chosen people, his people. And Abraham became a... Righteous man, because he believed God, he followed God, and because of that faith in God, God said that he was a friend of his. And this is the promise that he made him in Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. Listen to this promise now. And in your seed, there it is, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed My voice, in your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. In other words, what Satan just heard was, it's not going to be just mankind. It's not going to be just that mankind. But it's going to be through Abraham, the the seed of Abraham. It's going to be one of his lineage whereby the whole world is going to be blessed. It's going to be by this man, Abraham, and his lineage that the world will be redeemed. It's through his seed. And if you don't know who that seed is, Galatians chapter 3, verse 16 will help you understand that. Paul writes there, it says, And whenever God made the promise to Abraham, he did not say unto your seeds, he says, but through your seed, singular, all the world shall be blessed. For he was not talking about the All the lineage of Abraham, he is talking about one particular one who would come through the lineage of Abraham who would be Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Christ would be the one that all the nations of the world will be blessed. Now, hold on a second. If that's true, now Satan knows this. It's not going to be just through man that the world is going to be redeemed and this kingdom is going to be won back. It's going to be through the lineage of Abraham. So now his sights are set on Abraham and all his lineage. He's going to have to focus on him and he's going to have to do something to him to keep his people and for the Redeemer to come from that group. So what happens in relationship to that Well, you you, when you read the story of Abraham, you find all kinds of things. First of all, Sarah had a hard time getting pregnant. You remember that, and then finally, at ninety years of age, she has her baby. And then it goes on. Isaac, when he goes over there, he has the difficulty because his two boys don't really like each other a whole lot, and one wants to kill the other. Wouldn't that be something for one brother to kill the other and wipe out that lineage? For the one that wanted to be is the one that was dangerous to be destroyed was Jacob, who eventually who eventually becomes Israel and has 12 sons. And isn't it interesting that that the best son that he had, his name was Joseph, and somehow in some way those other brothers decided they didn't want Joseph around anymore. They thought they might kill him, but they decided they would sell him into slavery. Whose idea do you think that was? You think they came up? Well, that's not their ideal. Satan is behind all that. He took the best of what Abraham's lineage had and said, that must be the one. That must be the one. We're going to get rid of him. We're going to sell him in slavery. He's going to die in some prison in Egypt. But God overshadows that, doesn't he? God protects him in Potiphar's house. God protects him in prison. God finally elevates him where? To be second in command. All of Egypt. Why? It's because God knows what Satan doesn't know. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Amen. And then through that whole process, he was able to bring all their people over to the land of Goshen in Egypt. And even though it was a famine, they were blessed and they multiplied and multiplied and grew. And man, they became a massive force that all of a sudden, the Pharaoh who no longer remembered Joseph decided that these these Jews are going to be trouble for us. So they placed them in slavery. I wonder whose idea was that. And not only that, when you read in Exodus chapter 1, you find out that they become so many that Pharaoh then says to the people, you must not let the male children live. The male children have to be thrown into the Nile River. Now, why would he come up with that plan of, of destroying the male children? Because Satan knows it's through the lineage of Abraham whereby that Redeemer is going to happen and come. So, it's going to be through one of those males. Kill all the males. You get the picture? The more he learns, the more he can hone in on where that Redeemer comes from. Who is that redeemer? Who? Where is he going to come from? God knows. Satan doesn't know. But he's progressively learning more. And God just gives him a little bit more information along the way. Well, we know that God brought forth a deliverer, didn't we? His name was Moses. Whenever Moses came, he is instrumental in taking the children of Israel and getting them out of the land of Egypt. And they're going to travel to a land that is promised by God to them and that Abraham had lived in before he died. And it was that promised land that they pursued. But on that journey through there, remember the Amalekites decided that they wanted to destroy the, uh, the children of Israel after they got to the Red Sea and the Egyptians tried to destroy them on the other side of the Red Sea. Why is everybody trying to destroy them? Not because of the mind of man. But because of the mind of the enemy, he wants them to be destroyed. But right out there in the middle of the desert, God gives another word. Turn to Numbers chapter 24. I want you see this. In Numbers chapter 24, this is when Balaam, you remember Balaam? Balaam, that unrighteous prophet, but God gives him a word. In the midst of that word, it's, it's, it's the strangest thing to me. It's encouraging to me that if God can speak to Balaam, he can speak to me. Amen? (laughs) And God gives him a word about this redemption plan and about the Redeemer. Now, we've already seen it's going to be through man, and it's going to be through Abraham. But look what happens in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. It says this. This is Balaam speaking. I see him. Talking about this Redeemer. I see him. But not now, I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob, and a scepter shall rise from Israel. You hear it? A star is going to rise up, a scepter, that means he's ruler, going to be in Israel. And and shall crush through the forehead of Moab. Moab is always a picture of rebellion. It's a picture of the rebellious one. So specifically, when he's talking about he's going to crush the head of Moab, he's talking about the number one rebellious one. Who's that? Yes, right, Satan. It's Satan. So this one's going to have a scepter in his hand. He's going to crush the forehead of old Satan. And he's going to tear down... All the sons of Sheth. And then look at verse 19. One from Jacob, here it is, shall have dominion and shall destroy the remnant from the city. One from Jacob shall what? Shall have dominion. They lost dominion. At the fall, they lost the dominion. But now he says, but the dominion's coming back. So, if they're going to have dominion, who's not going to have dominion? The old enemy's not going to have dominion. So, God says, listen, there's one coming out of Jacob. There's coming one from Israel, going to have a scepter in his hand. He's coming, and you'll see his star. You'll see his star, and he's going to crush the head of the rebellious one, and he's going to take back over the dominion. Wow. Where's he coming from? From Jacob, from Israel. From Jacob, from Israel. So, Now Satan knows this. Boy, there's somebody. He's coming. He's going to have a scepter, and what he's going to do is crush me. What he's going to do is he's going to have dominion again. And where's he going to have? Well, he found that out in the middle of the desert, out there in the midst of the wilderness. So what happens? He sets every enemy he can to try to destroy Israel. He sends the Philistines. You remember reading anything about Philistines in the Bible? Those old Philistines. Goliath was a what? A Philistine. Philistines are everywhere. But then you got all the kites, too. Amalekites, Perizzites, Jebusites, whoever you want to, they're all out there. And they're out there to do one thing. Read it in the Word of God. They're out there to do one thing, and that is to defeat and destroy the nation of Israel, to destroy the people of Jacob, to hinder the ones of Abraham. Why? Not because they're a people. But because out of that people will come the redeemer, who will crush his head. Got it? <laughs> well, they travel on and, and get into the promised land. If you read, you're just going through the Bible right now. You go through the promised land, and and they. When part of it, they didn't do all they're supposed to do. Then you have the time of the judges. You remember that time of the judges? And, and man, there's wars. This, this one's trying to destroy that one. This trying to kill that one. All those things. And then it comes to the time of the kings. You remember reading about that? There comes the time of the kings. Saul was a king, and he wasn't a righteous king. But then comes the king, David. David, the king, the man after God's own heart. And once again, God gives a word. Turn to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Listen to what it says in verse 16. This is what God says to David. Here it is. And your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established. Listen, well, how long? Forever. Ever, What did that just tell Satan? Do you know how, you know how the Redeemer's coming? Do you know where he's coming from? Not just coming from man. He's not just coming from Abraham. He's not just coming from the house of Jacob, house of Israel. You know where he's coming from? He's going to come from the house of David. He's going to sit on the throne, and he is going to rule forever and ever. You know what happens immediately after this? Oh, Satan causes David to be wandering around on the patio when he ought to been in war, and he sees Bathsheba. And when he sees Bathsheba, he commits adultery, and from that he kills Uriah. He tries to stop the plan of God by doing battle with David in regard to his own heart. But God forgives David, and God restores David. There's all kinds of battles. Just read it when you get home. All kinds of battles between David's own children. David's son tries to overthrow him. David's son kills another one of David's sons. Why is there a battle going on? Because Satan knows this, that he heard God say, David, it's going to be through your house. David, it's going to be through you that there's going to be this redeemer who's going to have dominion. And he says, I'm going to do battle against David. And he ever more battles against him. When David dies and Solomon becomes king, it's a united kingdom. But then you find out that Solomon does wicked things. So that by the time the next king rolls around, they no longer want to have a single kingdom, but they're going to have a split kingdom, two kingdoms. If you can't, if you can't let them uh, be together and destroy one another, then divide them. Amen. Divide them. So, now there's the northern nation of Israel and the southern nation of Judah. And isn't it interesting that David comes from the house of Judah? All the others are together. And then there's the house Of Judah, the separation. And in the midst of that, you find them warring against one another and weakened in their state. And there's ungodly kings like Ahab and his wife Jezebel who seeks to destroy Judah. You find a battle going, who do you think came up with that plan? Who do you think set that in motion? What do you think the purpose of It's not just the destruction of people. It's that he wants to do everything he can to hinder that Redeemer from coming. Eventually, they become so wicked that Israel is destroyed by the Assyrians. And then Judah doesn't learn anything from it, and they are defeated by the Babylonians. But instead of them, listen, instead of them taking everybody and just totally annihilating them, which they could, God preserved that remnant he always does. And they carry the best over. Nebuchadnezzar carries the best that Israel has over there. And some of those are Daniel and three Hebrew children. But he, God's preserving them. They're in the midst of the Babylonian Empire. But even in that, when he gets over there, remember what happens? Nebuchadnezzar all of a sudden thinks he's going to make an idol. Everybody's got to bow down. Where'd he come up with that plan? Where do you think where do you think? Oh, Satan. And the three Hebrew children will not bow down, but God still preserves them. And they come up with a plan that you gotta no longer pray to anybody else, but Daniel prays three times a day. Where'd he come up with that plan? He can't get thrown in the lions then if you if you pray. And Daniel prays, and he gets thrown in the lions. Then where did that plan come from? From the mouth of Satan, but God preserved them in the midst of the den of lions. You see the you see the the story you see what's happening in relationship to all this Finally there's an old king who's a Medo-Persian king called Cyrus and Cyrus says a decree send them all back and let them build their temple in in Jerusalem Wow God did something great there didn't he They come back they try to reestablish they never become a powerful nation they're always Battling one another. And then they enter into what is called the intertestamental period. The intertestamental period are 400 years of silence. Amos had foretold in his prophecy that there will be a famine. Not a famine for food, but a famine in the land for the word of God. There will be a longing for the word of God, but there will not be a word from God. And for 400 years, there was no prophet who spoke the word of God. 400 years they never heard a word from God. But at the end of that period, hold on a second, listen to me now. Don't lose me. At the end of that period, two very little known people, one was named Mary and the other was named Joseph from a pretty obscure city of Nazareth, certainly not powerhouse like Jerusalem, but there's Mary and there's Joseph, and they're chosen by God, that God is going going to do something unique in them, and that is that He is going to bring forth a holy seed in Mary. She is going to have a baby and never had relations with a man, for it will be the seed of God. Interesting thing about Mary and Joseph, both of them are of the tribe of Judah and of the household of David and children of Israel and a part of the Jacob clan, and they're certainly human beings. Wait a minute. sounded like God must know what he's doing. What do you think? And there they are. They have a baby. And that baby is born. And when that when that baby when that baby is born, you find out in Matthew two, chapter two. Look at it when you get home. There are some magi who come to see this baby, and they said, "Where is the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star, and have come to worship." him, just like Numbers 24, 17 said, and there will be a star that comes from Jacob and a scepter will be in his hand. You know who they asked that question of? They asked that question of King Herod, for they thought he would know. Herod had to have his Wise men to look up in Scripture, and it says, Bethlehem will be the place. It's prophesied, Bethlehem will be the place where the baby is born. And he sends the magi to Bethlehem. And they come, and they find Mary and Joseph and the baby, and they worship him and give him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But warned by an angel, they go home a different way rather than reporting back to Herod, who had wanted to hear so he could go his worship as well. And when Herod, when Herod discovers that they have deceived him, He sends forth his army to kill all the male children, two years of age and younger, as he had ascertained from the wise men, to kill all of those baby boys. Where did he get that plan? Where did he come up with that devious plan? Satan speaking to him. Send an army to kill the boys, the baby boys, two years of age and under in that region of the world. But I told you, God knows everything, amen? It's not a fair fight. God had already woke Joseph up, told him, you go to Egypt. You go there till I tell you to come home. When Herod dies, he brings him back home, and they settle in Nazareth. But what I'm telling you is, God preserves, and Satan cannot win. Even though he is trying to keep it from happening, he cannot win. He cannot win because we serve a God who knows all things and who has all power, can move all hearts and move the world if it needs to, he needs to in order to preserve his plan of redemption that he said was going to happen from Genesis 3. And then you hear, hold on a second, then you hear breaking the silence of 400 years, a voice crying in the wilderness, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. <laughs> That's 30 years after Jesus has been born. Remember, John's not but six months older than Jesus. You remember that? Just six months older. He probably didn't start his ministry till he was 30 years of age because people weren't even thought to know very much until they were 30 and respected. So he probably started his ministry at 30 years of age and And he had six months when he proclaimed, behold, he's coming. He's coming. What you been waiting for? He's coming. And then he gets to see Jesus walk up to him and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And and he baptizes. He baptizes Jesus. And when Jesus comes, listen, that sets in motion God's plan of invading this kingdom of the world with the kingdom of heaven. For the best heaven had was given on that first Christmas morning. And his entire ministry, his entire work, his entire redemption plan from the cross to the resurrection It's all about the kingdom of heaven invading this world. Invading this world through hearts and lives who believe in him, and ultimately one day invading this world as he brings redemption, draweth nigh, and brings to a culmination all things, and puts away all of the ungodliness, makes all things new. All things new. God knew it from the beginning. God planned it from the beginning. Satan's been battling it, trying to figure it out as he got hint after hint after hint. But he can never, ever stop it because God is in charge. Amen? I don't know about you, but hearing that and reading that and thinking about all that excites me that I'm on God's team. I'm glad it's not a fair fight, and I'm on the one that it's not fair about that we had the advantage. Amen. I'm just glad to know that, that our God is an all knowing God. He's an omnipotent God. He's an omnipresent God. And that his plan can never be thwarted, his plan can never be hindered. And he's been laying it out. And even when he gave Satan hints of how it's going to happen, he could not stop it. He could not stop it. So you ought to feel good if you're on this side. And you understand the redemption that happened in your heart and life. It wasn't something that just happened to you. It's happened throughout all of time that God's been working to redeem you. To redeem you. So that you might be a part of the kingdom of heaven. And enjoy that experience of the kingdom of heaven. I hope that you know him. I hope you've given your heart your life to him. And you've put your faith in. And trust in Him because that's the most important thing that you will ever do in your life. And the kingdom of heaven becomes real when the kingdom of heaven is birthed into your heart. I don't know about you, but I remember the day I got saved. (laughs) I remember the day I got saved. Whenever Jesus came into my heart and my life, it's like the darkness turned to light. Death turned to life. Forgiveness was real, and Jesus was alive in me. Has that happened to you? If not, you needed to, because he set all these things in motion so that the kingdom of God would be in your heart. The kingdom of heaven would be in your life, and that one day we'll all be gathered together in that kingdom of heaven where he rules and reigns.
0: That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon-series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world.